So we are, uh, we're in a series right now called Physical Contact. And in this series, we're taking some time as we move through mostly 2 Corinthians, according to the lectionary scriptures, uh, we're, we're taking some time to make connections between our physical reality and our spiritual reality. And the reason why uh, this seemed pertinent and relevant is for a couple of reasons. One is we've been uh, isolated from one another. Christ City is a church that has taken this pandemic very seriously. We've spent a lot of time apart, and so this idea of coming back into physical contact together is very real. We've spent a lot of time in our heads, entrapped uh, in, in, in internally. And um, another reason that connects with that is oftentimes in our version, the, the place that we find ourselves in history of Christianity, there has been a separation between spiritual things and physical things made out to be completely different sources of life or thought. And so much goes along with this. It, it, it affects the way we view pain. It affects the way that we view um, hurt and physical touch and all of these elements of our lives. And so in this series, we've been looking at the scriptures and finding those connections between both the physical and the spiritual. And this morning, we're dealing with the topic of strength and weakness. And I've titled this sermon, That Hideous Strength. Comes from a poem, comes from a a book uh, by C.S. Lewis that is one of his lesser well-known books. It's not uh, Chronicles of Narnia, so um, it's a sci-fi deal. And we'll We'll approach some of that as we, as we get into this uh, word this morning. So, uh, when, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's a very puzzling statement to make. I mean, strength is strength, right? Uh, it, 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 it's, it's something that you can easily gloss over in the scriptures, and it's something that's so different from the way we see Christianity function so often in our world. And it's something that we also like, I mean, social media is not about that life. It's about like, hey, you're strong, you're awesome, you're great, you never have to change whatever you are, whatever you look like, whatever you do, wherever you find yourself in life, just be happy about that spot that you're in. It's so great, it's so awesome, just celebrate wherever and whatever you are. And then we have Paul coming along here saying that there's some kind of strength, some type of supernatural sustenance that comes from us admitting to and finding our grounding and even a sense of identity in weakness. It's really weird. So to start off this morning, I just want to ask this question. What do you, what do, you do or what do you think about? What about your life in your life makes you feel strong? What makes you feel strong? Is it your intelligence? Is it your body? Is it your name, like where you come from, color of your skin, your gender? Or maybe it's something else, something more subjective, like your, your rage against the establishment, like you pride yourself, you find your strength in that, you, like, you always do the opposite of whatever like, the mainstream people are doing, or just nonconformity. Or maybe it's like the place you find yourself in like inner circles, of a particular group of people at work or in a social life. Maybe it's your knowledge, like how much you know. Maybe that 
makes you feel strong or some accomplishments you've achieved, degrees at work, things like that. Uh, For me, uh, pretty typical, like, young teenage guy. I mean, what made me feel strong when I was a teenager was, like, getting physically strong. Like, how much can I bench press? Uh, Can I beat up this other guy in school or whatever? And as I grew, you know, that that matured. Um, I I went went to art school, and it became more about, like, the strength of my ideas and how I could communicate them through painting and through sculpture and things like that. And, and then as I uh, started to work in churches and had a conversion experience at the age of 21, uh, soon after, that sense of strength came from, uh, how well do I know the scriptures? Can I, can I argue uh, for the religion of Christianity against other worldviews? And I began to find my strength in those things. So we all need a sense of that. We all need to feel strong. It's not bad. It's not bad to have a source of strength in any of those things. Uh, There's something interesting about that, though, is is usually uh, the source of or the thing that we treasure as our strength is usually tied to something in weakness from our past. So there, there was a point in your life in which you probably made, at least I know this is true for me, I made some kind of promise to myself that this way that I was weak, that I didn't have the answers, that I wasn't strong enough, that I couldn't come up with the solution, that I wasn't the guy that was uh, at being asked out or asking out the prettiest girl or whatever it might be, that there was some weakness in my life that I made this sort of internal promise that, hey, this humiliation, this weakness, this need that I have, I'm going to make myself into someone who doesn't need this anymore. Can anybody relate to something like that? Oh, Josh raised his hand. Okay, we got a few people brave enough to raise their hands there. It's, it's normal. It's what we do all the time uh, as human beings. And we're hoping that we can become these sort of survivors. We have these stories all the time, like uh, when, when uh, a famous athlete or actor is being interviewed on, uh, on a late-night show or something, they're like, how did you do this? How did you overcome these odds in your life? And I was joking with a, with a friend uh, of probably last year because it was in person, so maybe two years ago, uh, and we were talking about that, and I said, yeah, if, if some of those folks were honest, they would say like, oh, uh, actually, what allowed me to do that was my shame and my weakness. I never wanted to experience those things again. So I turned myself into the type of person that hopefully would never have to feel and experience those things again. And, and, and now I'm addicted to alcohol or I'm on my third marriage or whatever because it didn't work. That's, that's if we were being honest, right? But here's the truth. No matter how strong we try to make ourselves, no matter what we try to do to fulfill those promises of weakness from our past, we still have neediness. We still need things from other people. And to need things from other people means to be weak. Okay? If you're needy, you're weak. You need uh, a complex system of operations 
involving multiple people, environmental factors you can't control just to keep you alive by bringing food to you. How many of you know how to hunt down your own food with a bow and arrow and like cook stuff on an open fire uh, before night falls with dinner and, you know, fight off mosquitoes and all that kind of stuff? Probably not too many of us. I don't know. We got some Nebraska folks in here. Maybe they might know how to do that. I don't know. Uh, We need air to breathe. I mean, we're needy. We're weak. We don't get to control how that happens except for to be able to screw it up, which we're actually doing a really good job of that right now. Uh, We need love and affection. And so we pursue those type of relationships that hopefully will give us those types of things. But when you're strong, you don't have needs, right? Like, I don't need anybody or anything. And, and actually, I'm going to get to this stage in life, this place in life, in which I'm going to be so good, so wonderful, so excellent. People are just going to offer those things to me. So I never even have to admit that I have those kind of needs. You ever had that thought in your mind, like thinking about your job or something you're getting good at, and you have this moment where you're like, yeah, one day. Yeah, I'm going to get there. I'm, gonna, I'm not ever going to have to, like, ask a girl out again. They're just going to come to me. Uh, you, you know how on, on Instagram you see uh, if, you, if you like a post or you follow a certain kind of post, then you'll see a bunch of it? So I was, last year I was buying, I was doing what everybody else did. I got a certain amount of time into the pandemic, and I'm like, I need to start working out because uh, my gym's closed, and so I'm looking for dumbbells and stuff like that. So since then, I've gotten all these great workout memes on, uh, on all my social media stuff, and there's, there's this one, it reoccurs over and over in a number of different ways, and it's like this guy, and he's lifting weights, and he's thinking about when he's big and how all these girls are going to notice him, but when he gets big, the only, thing, the only person that notices him is other guys that work out. They're like, dude, nice gains, bro, and He's got the little bubble up in his head, and he's sad because he's, like, super jacked, and the girls still aren't talking to him, right? But we imagine, we all have something like that. We all have the super jacked version of ourselves in our imagination that's not going to be needy anymore. And so we work on becoming, and some of us don't. Some of us are really healthy, and we just ask for what I need. I'm talking about the rest of us, okay? We become these experts in, in manipulation where we learn how to never directly just say we need something, right? Like, what do you need? Are you okay? You seem down. No, I'm fine. I'm just fine. Really? You look really sad. Yeah, no, you know, I'm okay. And, and we, we make somebody else pull it, pull it out of us, right? We learn this early because when we just say like, hey, I'm sad, Maybe your mom or dad said, well, you know what? There's people in China right now that all they got to eat today was one half bowl of rice. So you should be grateful. No, anybody else? Anybody get that one? I see some laughing teenagers. Maybe they heard that one recently. I, I have tried not to say that to my kids, but I've, basically I've said something like that to them multiple times. <laughs> right? So we've got these uh, experiences that teach us not to just straight up be vulnerable and ask for what we need. And so we fantasize about that perfection, that day when we won't be needy anymore, when we're going to know all the right spiritual answers, we're going to unlock it, and we're going to be like the first one to like 
meditate and hover up into the air, right? Or we're going to get to that point in the career in life, and it's going to satisfy us. We're going to get to that point of wealth, right? And it's just going to be like all the answers are working out for us. Like, you know, you always hear, you know, wealthy people say like, yeah, you know, it's hard to be rich. You know, it's, it's you know, you still have all these problems and stuff. And I'm over here like, well, I'd like to uh, experience that personally for myself to see what it's like to experience those kinds of problems because it seems pretty good to me. So to be weak is to have need, to not be strong enough, to not be smart enough, to not be wise enough. And we see Paul grappling with this idea here in the text. If we look in verse 6, this is what he's saying here. He says, even if I should choose to boast... I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. So right here, Paul's kind of doing, he, he starts this in verse 2. He does this humble brag. So if you were lost in the beginning when we started reading the text, you know, join me the first couple times that I started reading this straight from the lectionary. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven, right? That's where he starts right there. And he's talking about himself. He's like, I know this guy who's experienced this really awesome stuff, but I'm not talking about him. I'm, I'm going to talk about me and, and my, my humble state, but I could be talking about that, Right? And so in verse 6 here, we catch up with him, and he's saying, even if I should choose to boast, I wouldn't be a fool to do so. I got a lot I could boast about. I would be speaking the truth. That's truth. That's church, y'all, if I was to boast, right? But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. And uh, he, he starts to talk about He's saying in these verses, he's like, but in order to keep me from being conceited, and the Greek word is closer to like elated, like a big head, right? Like your head is blowing up here. Um, it, it reminds me of uh, this, this like, kind of like Greek idea of something called hubris, right? It's this idea of like humanity, like overreaching, right? And, and we all, we all try to do this at some point in some way in our lives, even if it's just in our fantasies and our imaginations. And I see Paul's kind of grappling with this. He's like, look, like I've gone up to the third heaven, y'all, and, and it's really hard for me to re- kind of relate to what y'all are still dealing with here. But thankfully, like God's humbling me here. And, and when you think about this idea of, of hubris, I'm going give to you, give you a couple examples from from uh, the Greek world and imagination. It's kind of related to like this tragic flaw, but um, Persian uh, King Xerxes. You guys know King Xerxes? You probably do because you're historians or you saw 300, like, like Zack Snyder just like killing people with green screens, right? That's all that movie was. I don't think I even finished. I think I walked out of that movie. I went to see it with a friend anyway. Um, Persian King Xerxes, here's an act of hubris. Um, during those wars with Greece, he tried to punish the sea for destroying a bridge over a place he needed to get to in the battle. That's an example of hubris. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish the elements. That's how big and bad I am, right? Or this guy, uh, Ajax, uh, in, in, in this play, 
who in a battle, he told Athena, who is the goddess of war, to go help other warriors. Don't help me, Athena. I got this. You ever, you ever had that moment in your life where you accomplished something? I can remember being uh, in, in, I think it was sixth grade. And I don't think they let kids do this anymore. I don't hear about this, but we were playing like a massive game of dodgeball. Anybody grow up playing dodgeball in public school? Man, and we had these balls. And they, when you grabbed them, you could, you could grab, you, you could sink your hand into them. And when you let go of them, they like reinflated. Anybody got, get to use those? Yeah, we were playing dodgeball, and I discovered I was incredible at dodging. And there was this moment I had, sixth grade, where I'm standing up on the line, right? I'm like, just throw it at me. Just go. I'm going to catch it. I'm going to dodge it. I'm going to matrix it, which matrix didn't even exist then. But, and I had this thought, like, I might be the greatest man that ever lived, right? You ever, you ever, you ever get there in your mind just for a split second? where you're accomplishing something that matters so much to you, and you just have this moment of hubris where you're like, I'm the, I'm the greatest person that ever lived. Right? And you forget about all the things that need to happen just for you to have that tiny little victory just for a moment. And it, it could be called hubris, or as maybe some of your grandmas called it growing up, getting too big for your britches. Right? Nobody says britches anymore, but for you young folk, that means your pants, right? Your pants or whatever you're wearing on the bottom half of your body, right? Because we got all kind of stuff. But um, this translates to this idea of hubris and getting too big for our britches. This has incredible consequences uh, in our world. So we, we've got this, this ego that's developing, and we need to have these experiences and these strengths in our lives, but if we come to the point where that is all that ever becomes important, is developing this sense of strength in the world, which is what Paul's grappling with here, then it can begin to cause a lot of harm in the world, these delusions of grandeur. And, and we're facing that right now on a global scale. We're dealing with, I mean, have y'all seen what some of the parts of the oceans look like? It's just horrible. I mean, it keeps me up. At night, no, the fireworks kept me up at night, but but the straws too, like all the all the pollution, all the stuff going on, and that we're just throwing away, and we just have we're so preoccupied with being so great and shiny and fantastic that we can't even wrap our minds around the fact that the whole reason we can even stay alive, the water, and God gave us a whole lot of it is being destroyed, right? I mean, this, this is incredibly uh, terrifying. I mean, global warming, like, we're just like, you know what? You know, once the planet's, you know, used up, like, God's, God's got this. He's got, like, a plan B or something like that for us. We don't got to worry about that. We just keep using stuff up, keep focusing on me and do me and do the things the way I want to do it. And, and so we, we come to this point where we are so self-focused on maintaining this persona, this identity in strength, and we are so willing to downplay and look away from the consequences, uh, we need 
to be humbled dramatically. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., many people know him as just a Southern civil rights activist, but he was deeply concerned about the relationship of technology, human hubris, and our spirituality. And, And in this series, we're trying to connect the spiritual in concrete ways to the physical. And so when we think about this idea of strength and getting to to weakness and how this can be a spiritual balm and aid to us growing in our Christian identity, it's really important to tie in what happens physically in the world around us. And and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says this in a, a, a speech called The World House. He says, when scientific power outruns moral power, we end up with guided missiles and misguided men. We foolishly minimize the internal of our lives and maximize the external. We sign the warrant uh, when we foolishly minimize the internal of our lives and maximize the external. We sign the warrant for our own day of doom. See, when we get into this mindset, in this mind frame of just trying to focus on our personal strengths and managing and curating our world in that way to maximize our personal strengths and goals, we can end up with things as amazing and as awesome and as scary as as guided missiles or huge corporations that can produce any type of thing you could ever want to consume And we end up with a world falling apart. Because strength, as Paul gets to here, isn't the answer. Being able to just do whatever we want and getting to the point where we feel like we can do whatever we want isn't the answer. You've you've probably heard this said before. Um, You know, you shouldn't stop at the question of just, can I do this? Am I capable of doing this? But you should also follow up by, but should I? Should I do this? I'm capable of so many things. God has gifted me with the ability to become strong in different areas. And if at the end of the day, the only thing we're trying to do is make up for or make good on those promises of weakness and be strong, then we're going to end up only asking that first question. Can I do this? If I can, I'm going to. And thus, the world we're living in right now, right? Sure, I can stand on the dodgeball line and dodge all day long. Not anymore. No, my knee would go out. I'd be down on the ground. But should I? Uh, And he mentions here this idea of an external and internal life, like the spiritual life, the physical life. And earlier in this talk, I want to share one more quote with you. This is what he says. Every man lives in two realms, the internal and the external. The internal is that realm of spiritual ends expressed in art, literature, morals, and religion. The external is that complex of devices, techniques, mechanisms, and instrumentalities by means of which we live. Our problem today is that we have allowed the internal to become lost in the external. We have allowed the means by which we live 
to outdistance the ends for which we live. The ends for which we live. So what are, what are the ends? What are the goals? Right? If all you're doing is protecting that wounded ego, looking for strength, looking for that elusive perfectionism, then we can look and see the results in our physical world around us right now. Because at the end of the day, here's what's true, and here's what Paul is getting to here, is we are responsible for our lives. There's, there's no putting it off. We can't make God responsible for all of our actions. We can't make God responsible for doing the work that we need to do, but we can ask him to meet us in this, hollow, this sacred place of weakness. Here's what he says here as we get further in to the verses here in, in uh, verse 7. He says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. You ever ask God to deliver you from anything? I have, many times. And in fact, when I was a young believer, there were desires I had that were harmful to me and other people, and actually some of those, many of those things, were changed in, felt like an instant in my life. That was real. But, but on the other hand, I can also relate to what it is that Paul's saying, and this is that responsibility piece, that, that Paul is praying for this source of weakness, he says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, hey, I was given a thorn in my flesh. And I pleaded three times to have it taken away from me. Three times. There's things I want God to take away from me. There's things I've prayed and asked over and over. God, would you remove this flaw from my life? It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. I'm not doing the best that I can do. I know I can do more, God. Will you take this thing away from me? And God didn't do it. God didn't do it. And what Paul is getting to here over and over, he's helping us to see this, is that the weakness is part of who we are. It's part of what we need as human beings. Strength is not the answer. Strength takes up too much room. We need some room for something else in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, so that we can operate with wisdom in our environment. Um, one of the tools that's been really helpful in our church and in my life personally with making this, getting this sort of clarity about my limits and my weaknesses as a human being that has helped leave room for other people and for God is the Enneagram. Yeah, the Enneagram. And um, some of us know the Enneagram as just kind of like this personality test, uh, like another Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders or something like that. But the thing that the Enneagram does that's so beneficial to a follower of Jesus, to a person who cares about their spirituality, a person who wants to know what does it mean to be weak and to have strength from God in that weakness, is that the Enneagram 
makes crystal clear your weaknesses. It, it shows you how you operate with everybody else. So no matter how good you think another person is or you would like to be that person you aspire to be, that perfect person, the Enneagram kind of sucks you back down to ground. It kind of plants your feet on the ground and say, oh yeah, I've, I do have this thorn in my side. So it's not just that, hey, uh, I'm an achiever, number three, and, and, and I can do all these things. But there's also this shadow side to being an achiever. There's this constant need for people to notice me, to pay attention to me, uh, for people to see me. I, I even wonder sometimes if Paul was a three, because I can just hear him screaming in this passage, like, just notice me for all I've been through, for all I've done for you and for God. Can you just notice me and see me and be grateful, right? But what, what makes, it, makes uh, something so clear here is each person can only identify as one number. Which means inherently within the Enneagram, you need other people. You have weaknesses that are other people's strengths. And even if you try to strengthen and maximize your strengths even more you find yourself with even greater weaknesses on the other end of the spectrum. It's an incredible spiritual tool. I know it looks almost like a pentagram or whatever, but I promise it has like a lot of roots in, in uh, ancient Christianity and, and modern uh, Christianity. So, so beco- being, becoming aware of our weaknesses and the futility that Paul is experiencing. I keep praying and asking for God. Take this away from me. I mean, I've gone to the third heaven. I've gone all over the world telling people about you. I've resisted all of these temptations. I've been beaten up. I've been people throwing rocks at me. I've done all these things for you. So please just take this away from me. Take this weakness from me. And God said, nah, nah, that... That's like part of the whole thing you're preaching about, man. That's, that's like the weakness of the crucifixion, that the God you're talking to people about was crucified, a common criminal's death on a cross. No, I'm not going to take that from you. You need it. You need it. So he says in verse 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's the room we got to leave. See, when, when we can't acknowledge our weaknesses, when we can't acknowledge our neediness, we take up all the space. We take up all the space for anyone to get close to us, for God to speak to us when we're so focused on protecting that weakness inside of us, when really it's the opposite that will give us what we want. It's the asking. I think I remember somewhere Jesus talking about asking. Those who ask will receive. Those who seek will find. Those who knock on the door, it will be opened. It is a good thing to be needy, to need something, and to ask for something, to open up a space inside of you, not to ask for God to make you perfect so you no longer have need, but to say, God, can you provide for me what I need because I'm scared, because I'm lonely, 
because there's things I've tried to do for myself that I can't do. There's ways I've tried to make myself into that achiever or that challenger, but I'm still stuck over here just being a helper. And so we see this here in the text, and hopefully we see this in our lives as we move closer towards it, that this weakness is a gift. It makes space. It opens up room for God to move and operate within us. And if we have any doubt, if we have any doubt as followers of Jesus that this is the path, that this is the way, because I do, we look to Jesus. In the, in the next chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking more in depth about some of these things. And he says uh, in 2 Corinthians 13, 4, For to be sure, he, Christ, was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Right? So, as you think about this in your life, and you think about those places, going back to those promises that you made, whether explicitly or implicitly, the ways you never wanted to be weak again, that you may actually be stiff-arming God. You may actually be not allowing yourself to have the space within you to receive power from God. Again, not to make you perfect, not to take away all the things you don't like about yourself. That's the point. Everybody's got those. Everybody always will, right? It's to leave room for God to move and operate in your life. So this is what I want to leave you with as we get ready uh, to go into communion, the table where we get to receive from God. What do you need to ask for in your life? What do, you, what do you need to, by the very act of asking for it, you're undoing that strength stranglehold on your life, that you've got to be strong so you can't ask for this thing. Maybe it's from a spouse. Maybe it's from a family member, a friend. Maybe it's from God. Maybe it's even something that you want to come up for prayer for uh, as we take communion and ask for it together with Uh, myself or another elder. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who does not expect us to come with all the things together, all our strengths in place, all our shortcomings mastered, all shiny and clean. But in fact, it is in our weakness Uh, that you show your strength in and through us. Help us to receive that. Help us to ask for that in our lives this morning, Lord. Amen.